introduction, you know, people are starting to call me pastor around here, and you know, that's like crazy, like that's definitely gonna take some time to get used to, but I just wanna tell you that it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to come here and to see all of you guys. And you know, I'm especially glad for today because I had this opportunity to speak to you today. So, you know, like they've been saying, you know, it's my first sermon as a full-time uh, full pastor, and you know, it's actually my second sermon, right, here at Glendale. And I remember, you know, the first time I spoke here, you know, it was quite an experience, but I just want to let you know uh, before we start, you know, I'm not going to cry or anything like that. <laughs> um, what is it like? Actually, you know, I don't know, because apparently some people at this church think that I'm a crybaby. You know, is that true? Auntie, Auntie Bonnie, are you here? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so, you know, I might just cry, you know, just to <laughs> prove you guys right. But anyways, you know, thank you all for being here today. And you know, like Pastor Tim always says before his sermon, he says that I believe that God has specifically called each and every one of us here for a very particular purpose, right? Amen. And, you know, I think that the fact that God has called us all together for a reason is something that's so important for us today because um, you know because think about it like if someone were to ask you to come at a certain place at a certain time like you wouldn't just randomly show up right you would want to know why like why is this person calling me here like for example let's say like I was to go up to you and say like you know hey um, Matthew I want you to meet me at Starbucks at 3 p.m. on Sunday um, and I tell him nothing else. Is Matthew just going to show up? He's going to want to know, right? Like, hey, why do you want me to be there? Like, um, are you going to pay for me? Are we eating together? You know, all that like factors into like if he's going to show up or not, right? So I think in the same way, when we show up at church on the seventh day, I think there's a very particular purpose and a reason that we're here today. And that's kind of like the topic that I want to focus on today, um, you know, purpose. Because, you know, two weeks ago, if you remember, Dr. Ree from uh, Loma Linda came to speak to us uh, about, you know, how he found God through his, like, field of science, right? He's a doctor, he's, he has an MD, PhD, and he talked about how he found God in science and also through, like, Chinese letters. I thought that was just so cool, you know, right? <laughs> and, um, but there's one thing that he said that really stuck with my mind. And he said, for us human beings, um, what's more important than happiness is meaning. And you know, I was just so curious because it sounds so true, you know, based on my experiences. So, you know, I went up to him afterwards and asked him about it. And basically what he said was that, uh, well, this is like me paraphrasing in my own words, but he said something like, uh, so like when we live life, it's not enough to feel good or to feel content, you know, because our feelings are inconsistent. You know, like think about it, like we could have a bad meal one day and feel very unhappy about life, right? Or we could wake up and just feel good for, you know, no reason, you know. And we're gonna have good days and bad days, but that's not something that's fully in our control. But what's fully in our control is having a sense of purpose and knowing the reason why you live and why you do stuff. And yeah, I'm a little nervous, but you know, bear with me for a bit. But I think this is a very important topic to talk about. And uh, last week also, 
uh, some of, like, including myself, some of the youth members, well, most of us, most of the youth members, we went to um, Upper Room Fellowship for, uh, to hear a missionary give his testimony. And if you weren't there, his testimony was basically um, him. Like, he was, in the beginning, he was really searching for a meaning in life. You know, he watched, at an early age, two of his brothers uh, passed away. One of them got sick, and the other one, like, committed suicide. And he came to a realization at a very young age that, you know, we're all going to die soon. And, you know, if we're going to die, what is our purpose? And he couldn't really, he didn't really, at the time, he didn't really have an answer to that question. You know, what is our purpose to life? And, um... That's why, and because he didn't have a good answer to that question, like he started going into, you know, he started using drugs and, you know, participating in robbery and a lot of crimes like that. And, um, yeah, he ended up in prison, you know, for like so many years and he somehow found God. But anyways, the point that I want to make is that, you know, for us human beings, it's important for us to know why we live. And this is an important question, right? But, you know, if you don't mind being a little honest, you know, it's a question that sometimes we're too busy for, right? Like, it's so important, but we just don't have, like, time to think about these kind of questions, you know? There's more, you know, urgent questions, like, you know, how am I going to study for my exam next week? Or, I don't know, like, how am I going to pay my bills next week? Like, do adults think, think about those kind of things? <laughs> I don't know, but anyways, um, it's a question that everyone must face at some point. And in reality, it's a question that people struggle to answer in this world. It's a reason why people start getting depressed and they start doing bad things, you know. What's the point of living a good life if we're just gonna die? Why don't I just do whatever I want? And, you know, they really struggle to answer this question. And the first point that I wanna make in my sermon, I'm gonna make three points, okay? The first point is that we as human beings, we all come into the world with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And when we look at the Bible, it's full of stories about people who struggle to fill this hole in their hearts. And, you know, we can try to fill this hole with many different things, right? Like a career or, you know, maybe a financially stable life. You know, that sounds like a pretty good purpose, right? And or, you know, through our other accomplishments, we try to fit, like, a lot of many different things, you know, into that hole we have in our hearts. But um, the first verse that I want to show you is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. And um, it's, it reads, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it, all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So this is King Solomon speaking. And you know, you guys all know who King Solomon is, right? So King Solomon is someone that had, that literally had everything that you could possibly imagine. You know, he was the wisest person. You know, God appeared to him in a vision and, you know, like, yeah, the story goes like, you know, he asked for wisdom, but God is so pleased with that answer. He not only gives wisdom, but he gives uh, many different things. You know, I'll also make you rich. I'll make you so powerful. You know, there won't be any king like you in history. And this guy has everything, you know, wisdom, money, fame, and honor. And he knows it. And one day he decides to put his wisdom to work and, you know, write a book. And this book, Ecclesiastes, that's written by him, what is the conclusion that he comes to? He says that everything under the sun is meaningless, right? 
And, you know, just from the start, start of the book, literally the first two verses of the book is like everything is meaningless. In the end, I'm going to die and none of this, you know, all these things that I own, it's not going to do me any good. And everything under the sun is meaningless. But then if you look at the end of the chapter, chapter 12, it says, you know, he says, you know, but here's my conclusion of the matter of the meaningless in this world is that we should all obey God and fear him and keep his commandments. And so what he's basically saying is that, you know, this world, everything under the sun is so meaningless, but thank goodness there's a God who's not under the sun. You know, he created the sun and he also created us. And if there's anyone who could tell us how to live our lives, it will be God because he created us. And, you know, like I said, in the Bible, there's many people that are struggling to find meaning under the sun. But God is always telling his people, you know, hey, I'm right here. I'm everything that you're looking for. And then he calls them. He calls, the, he calls them and said, you should stop what you're doing and come to me. And I'm going to go over uh, three different people that really struggled with finding purpose in their lives. And the first person is Peter. So Peter was clearly someone who was searching for a purpose, right? So he started out as, as, out as a fisherman. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. Being a fisherman is great. But I'm sure he's wondering, like, um, you know, is life more than just making a living? You know, I'm a fisherman. I know that. But, you know, what can I do for God, you know, as a fisherman? And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, you know, come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. And this is the story. Can you go to uh, John chapter 21? The, it's the next one, yeah. And so in this verses, we see Peter. Uh, he's have, he has a very empty feeling in his heart. So this is the context, okay? So Jesus has already resurrected by this point. And Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. So they know that Jesus has come back. But then, uh, Peter, even though he knows that Jesus has come back, you know, he, he doesn't go back to Jesus. You know, why? Why doesn't he go back to Jesus? Because the fact that Jesus has resurrected, he's happy, but at the same time, he remembers all the times that he denied him. And he remembers the time that he abandoned uh, Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's so ashamed, and he thinks, you know, there's no way Jesus is going to want to see me again. And he doesn't go back to Jesus. He goes back to fishing. And, you know, for me, you know, I totally get where Peter is coming from because I feel like I've been in a similar situation. Um, so, you know, I'll sh I'm going to be, this next part of the sermon is kind of like, uh, so a little uncomfortable for me to share because I'll be talking about my own struggles and you know, finding meaning, but uh, I think it's best to share so that the rest of the sermon would make sense. So I'll try my best and please bear with me. Um, so, you know, uh, so recently, like two days ago, uh, you know, something very special happened and I had the privilege of turning 23 and you know, my 23rd birthday. And you know, like early 20s is an exciting time, right? You know, you're, you're still young, but you know, you're kind of older than the young people. And 
you know, it's, people say it's a good life, but you know, for yeah, and for me, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, praise God. You know, I turned 23, but um, you know, at the same time, the by uh recently, like I've been experiencing like what you might call like a quarter life crisis, a quarter life crisis. So if you never heard of that, it's like a half life, or what is it, midlife crisis? I guess for like young people. But anyways, so like when I came back from Andrews, you know, finished my last semester, I had a great time, you know. Praise God that he led me to Andrews. But, you know, when I came back and, you know, came back to California, you know, I didn't really, you know, have anything, you know. There was no, I didn't really have a job, you know. There were no people, no one really was looking for me, you know, uh, offering me a job or anything like that. And, you know, I saw my friends getting ready for medical school, you know, dental school, nursing school, and, you know, doing all these great things, you know, and I guess at that point, I was kind of like asking a lot of questions, you know, like, am I going down the right, right path, you know, am I really meant to be a pastor, you know, what if, you know, I'm not actually meant to be a pastor, you know, I start thinking about, you know, all my flaws as a, you know, all my flaws and my, all my sins and all, all that stuff like that. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, what if maybe, like, you know, I just had a spiritual high one day and, you know, convinced myself that I'm supposed to be a pastor and I'm not, when I'm not actually supposed to. And, you know, I was seriously contemplating at that point, just recently, like, I was seriously contemplating going back to school because, you know, maybe, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should have stayed in medicine, you know, because that that's what I was studying the whole time. And, and um, yeah, all these thoughts were going through my head. And looking back, the reason why, when I look back now, the reason why I was feeling this way is because I was filling my heart with so many different things that's not God. And the second point of the sermon that I want to make is that if we don't fill our hearts with God, we are going to end up filling it with something else. Okay? So the first part was, the first point was that we all come into the world with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. The second point is that if we don't fill our hearts with God, we are going to end up filling it with something else. And, you know, me wanting to, you know, Peter wanting to go back to being a fisherman, you know, I totally get that, you know. When I read this passage, I was thinking, you know, that's totally me. You know, I don't feel worthy enough to be a pastor. You know, I'm such a messed up human being. And why not just go back to being a student, you know? Then I'll at least have something to do, right? I'll have a semester to look forward to. I'll have an exam for st to study for. You know, I won't have to think about, you know, all these, you know, questions like, what is my purpose? What is my meaning in life? And I want you to understand that this is where Peter is in his life, in these verses. He's really struggling with a sense of emptiness in his heart. And but I want you to rest assured that Peter's story does not end here. And I want to go to the second person that I'll, I'll be going back to. I mean, the second person who was really struggling for purpose, finding purpose, and that person is Elijah. And um, yeah, so in this story, that, in these verses that we're going to read, the context is that, you know, the prophet Elijah, so at the time that he was uh, a prophet, like his country, like the nation of Israel, it's fallen under idolatry by a, like a false god named 
uh, Baal. It's spelled B-A-A-L. And, you know, they killed all the prophets of God, and only Elijah is left. And people are wondering, you know, wow, you know, is, should we worship Baal? Should we worship uh, God? You know, like the king is worshiping Baal, but, you know, Elijah is worshiping God. You know, who do we worship? And Elijah said, why don't you come up to this mountain and, you know, see for yourself who the true God is. And, you know, this is the part where God sends down fire and, you know, does all these crazy miracles to show that God is the true God. And Elijah has wanted, just won a great victory for God, right? But then it says, starting from verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Hey, Matthew, can you, can you read the rest of the verses? Sorry, my throat is getting dry. Okay. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord said, and the Lord, angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Okay, so... You know, to summarize those verses, um, if you're paying attention, uh, it's, so basically what happened was that Elijah, you know, when he hears that, you know, like the king, the queen is out to kill me, um, Elijah hears this and gets afraid and flees to a cave. And when he's at the moment when he's supposed to stand up for God, he flees and, you know, he really just gives up and says, you know, God, you know, I'm done being a prophet. I just want to die, you know? What's the point to life? And he's so depressed and he's suffering so much and he's really lost his sense of purpose in life. And what does God do when he sees this? Does he say, uh, what does God say? Like, oh, Elijah, like, you disappoint me, you know? You're not a good prophet. No, right? What does he do? He gives, um, he gives him food, right? It was like, uh, like baked, bake like bread and water right and so if you think about it like food is probably the last thing that's on Elijah's mind you know because he wants to die you know he doesn't see the point in living life but why does he why would he want food but then if you think about it you know this is just to show how much God loved Elijah in that moment even when he failed as a prophet uh, because I come to realize that food goes a long way in telling someone how much you love them so, you know, for example, I want you guys to think about, you know, our parents. Like, they make food for us every single day, right? You know, like, they don't have to do it. They're not getting paid for it. But, you know, they make food for us every single day. And 
you know, for me, you know, I'm moving to Seattle soon, and uh, uh, I'm gonna have to cook for myself, and you know, <laughs> I've definitely not been taking anything that she's been cooking me for granted, um, especially two days ago on my birthday. Uh, you know, I'm 23, you know, that's pretty old, right? But I'm still, you know, pretty young. I'm still immature. And, you know, birthdays aren't really a big thing at our house. But then, you know, it's never been that way, you know, ever since, you know, I went to college. But then still, you know, it's like my birthday's coming up this week. And, you know, no one's talking about it. Like my mom, my dad, they're not talking to me. They're not coming up to me and asking me, like, you know, hey, you know, well, what do you want for your birthday? Like, do you want to eat something? You know, no one's saying anything. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, what is going on? And, you know, I was, you know, like, okay, we'll see about this, you know. If they forget, like, I'm gonna be so mad at them. You know, do they even know it's my birthday, you know? And then, um, yeah, Thursday came, you know, day of my birthday, and you know, I still haven't received any news or text messages about, you know, happy birthday, son, we're so proud of you, or whatever. But then, you know, I go into the kitchen, and I see food. I see a pot of rice and biokguk. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, like, of course they remember, you know? They're your parents. And, um, you know, like, I realized that uh, our parents, like, they don't always, like, say, like, I love you. But, you know, through, like, little things like this, you know, something as simple as food, you know that they love you so much. Sorry, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll give you another example. So, like, you guys know how, you know, me and Matthew, we're pretty close, right? So, you know, over the years, I've got to know known him and his family members. And I also got to know his grandma, you know. I go, go over to his house for, like, just, you know, random occasions, like, you know, 4th of July, you know, or like, oh, it's grandma's birthday, you know. And I would invite myself to his family's, his grandma's birthday. And, you know, like, grandmas, um, grandmas, like, every time you go over to your grandma's house, you know, what happens? She cooks all this food for you that you can never eat, right? Like, and, you know, and you're talking to your grandma, and she's asking you what you ate for lunch, and, you know, like, God forbid, she finds out that you skipped a meal, what happens? Like, she freaks out, right? She gets mad. She starts flipping over tables. She gets really... She yells at our mom and dad and saying like, yeah, no way, we ate you know, <laughs> something like that. But, you know, that, but that's only because God, I mean, grandma loves us so much, right? And, you know, Jesus clearly teaches us that, you know, if we as sinful human beings know how to live, love our children, you know, how much more would our heavenly father love us? And, you know, God doesn't always send down, you know, fire and lightning from the sky to show how much he loves us. But we know it's there, right? Through, like, the little things. Little things like giving someone who's depressed and lonely, you know, of, of some bread and water, like he did to Elijah. 
And when I read this passage, you know, God says, he gives him bread and water and says, you know, get up for the journey is too much for you, right? And when I read this passage, I don't see a God who's saying, you know, Elijah, you failed me, you know, hurry up and eat this food because you have more work to do for me. You know, I'm not done with you yet. But I see a God who says, Elijah, you know, I know how you feel. I know how depressed and sad you are. I know how much you have suffered for my sake. But, you know, you haven't eaten all day. Would you please get up and eat this food? And, you know, knowing what Elijah went through, you know, depression is a very serious issue, right? Uh, I noticed because recently a friend of mine opened up about, like, the person's, his or her um, depression. And, you know, this person was actually talking to me and, you know, contemplating, contemplating, like, suicide. And I really didn't know what to do. And, you know, this, it made me research depression a little more. And, you know, I'll watch YouTube videos and listen to people share their depression story. You know, I'll watch TED Talks. And, you know, a lot of what they said was that, you know, depressed people, when they feel like they just want to give up and just die. You know, there's no point in life. You know, like they set up a day where they're going to kill themselves, but what stops them is that like all it takes to stop them is a friend just randomly calling them or texting them out of the blues saying, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, have you been eating well? You know, should I bring some food for you? You want to go out to eat? You want to watch a movie together? And they said, you know, things like that is all it takes for them to, you know, keep going, even though they're so down and depressed. And, you know, I was looking at the statistics on, like, how much depression, like, affects our population. And, um, you know, it's so high. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's people in this room, I mean, people in this church that feel like they're going through what Elijah's been going through. And if you're feeling like that, you know, I want you to say to yourself, I am loved, I am a child of God, and that he is pleased with me. Can we all say that together? So it's, um, I, am loved, I am loved, I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. And if you're in a place where you're really doubting God's love in your life, I want you to think about the story of Elijah and how much God loved him. You know, God doesn't always send down fire and lightning from heaven to show us how much he loves us, right? But the way I see it is that God's love is like the parent who will cook you food every single day, even if you're at home, you know, not making any money. And uh, God's love is like the parent... A uh, parent who who um, always remembers your birthdays. And you know, she, She'll cook miracle for us whenever, no matter how tired she is, right? 
and um, and also God's love. God's love is also, you know, like our grandma who always wants to feed you and gets angry whenever we're hungry, right? And that's what I want, I would like for us to get from the story of Elisha. And we'll move on to our third and last person, Moses. We're going even further back in the Old Testament. Thanks. And, um, you know, when we look at the life of Moses, we can see that he was a person who was constantly walking away from things because he was searching for something better, okay? Let's read Hebrews chapter 23, uh, chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. And it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So, you know, as you can see, Moses, he was the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh, right? He belonged to the royal family, you know, a very powerful, rich family, influential, and, you know, his life, entire life was set up for him, you know? He had financial stability, like, he had a career in government, and everyone respected him. And, you know, he had everything that, you know, you, you, could, you could ask for. But Hebrews chapter 11 says that he walked away from all these things, right? Because none of these things could satisfy that empty feeling that was always there in his heart. And he leaves Egypt and goes out into the desert. You know, where there's nothing, and all of a sudden, oh God, God comes through him, through a burning bush, and says, hey, you're going to be the leader of my people, and I'm going to show you the promised land. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. And Moses hears this and says, wow, you know, he immediately has the burning desire to see the promised land. You know, she tells himself, you know, wow, this must be what I've been waiting for my entire life, you know, this promised land, you know, to get there, you know, that must be my purpose in life. And it sounds like a pretty good purpose, right? To lead his people who's in slavery, you know, out of slavery into a land, you know, flowing with milk and honey. Sounds like a great purpose, but, you know, does Moses enter the promised land? No? Yes? He doesn't, right? Because, like, you know, somewhere along the journey, he messes up, he disobeys God, and... God says, you know, hey, since you did this, you can't enter the promised land. And Moses begs him, you know, God, please, can I, see the, can I go into the promised land? And he begs him. And God says, you know, enough, you know, don't talk to me about this anymore. And he tells him how he's going to die, you know. You will go up this mountain, 
and I will take you away up into heaven. You will die, and then I will take you up into heaven. And you know, it seems, and it seems like Moses died without having ever having fulfilled, you know, his life mission of entering the promised land, right? But I want to tell you that you know this is not where Moses' story ends, you know, because there's a story in the Bible where we talked about three people, right? Peter, Moses, and Elijah. We talked about those three people, right? So even though these people lived hundreds of years apart, there's a place and a time in the Bible where all three of these people were at the same place at the same time. Can anyone guess where that is? The transfiguration, right? So when Jesus, yeah, you can go to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. And, you know, I talked about three people, but uh, I guess there's a fourth person who was also struggling with, you know, this deep, empty feeling that we have in our hearts. And, you know, that person is Jesus. And you might think I'm crazy for saying that, you know, how, how would Jesus have that kind of problem? He was so faithful to God. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. But remember, you know, Jesus was fully, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He was tempted and tried as we are. And he felt all the sufferings that we went through. And remember, at the cross, when he bore our sins for our, our sake, he was separated from God. And in that moment, you know, God was no longer there in his heart. And there comes a time in his life, you know, towards the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, you know, we come to a point in his life where Jesus knows he's going to die soon. And he starts getting depressed. He's so sad. And he's thinking to himself, you know, can I really do this? You know, I'm going to be separated from, from my father, you know. Can I really go through with this? And he takes Peter and some of the disciples up to a mountain. And, you know, God sends down two prophets down from heaven to comfort Jesus, right? So who are they? It's Elijah and Moses, right? And, you know, the fact that they're on a mountain, these four people together is so significant because if you just, even, even if you just casually read through the Bible, you know that, like, the best things, you know, that happens, happens on a mountain. You know, we're going hiking today, right? You know, <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, I love hiking. I love mountains, you know, mainly because of this story. But, um... You know, for Elijah and Moses, it was such a big deal that they got to stand there with Jesus. You know, because when Elijah saw Jesus, and he's, when he looked at Jesus, he realized what Jesus was about to do for us soon. You know, going on the cross, bearing all our sins. And he thought about all the suffering that he went through as a prophet. And, you know, he looked at Jesus and he realized, you know, it was all worth it. You know, what I went through, I didn't know what was going on at the time. But it was definitely worth it. And for Moses, it's even more special because, you know, standing on that mountain with Jesus, it wasn't just any mountain. So the name of the mountain that they were at, the Transfiguration, it's the name of that mountain is Mount Tabor. And this Mount Tabor, I want you guys to remember that name. You know, we all know about Mount Sinai. You know, that's where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, right? And Mount Carmel, where um, Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. But this Mount Tabor is located in the, in the middle of northern Israel, and that's right in the promised land. 
And when Moses is standing in that mountain, he's basically standing in the promised land. And, you know, just imagine Moses, you know, he's standing on a mountaintop and he looks around and everywhere he sees, everywhere he lays his eyes upon is the promised land. And, you know, Jesus is so happy for him and he asks him, you know, so you're finally here, you made it. And how does it feel? And, you know, Moses says, I mean, you know, it doesn't say in the Bible, but I can imagine, you know, Moses, you know, he digs his toes into the ground and, you know, he breathes in all the, you know, fresh mountain air. And, you know, he says, wow, this is amazing. And then he looks at Jesus and he finds something even better. You know, he found someone that was willing to die for our sins and he got to see him face to face. And I really believe that that was something that was even more special to him, that he was able to be on that mountain with Jesus. And um, the third point, third and last point that I want to end my sermon with is that when we give our hearts to God, he will fulfill all of our desires. Okay? When we give our hearts to God, he will fulfill all of our desires. You know, Moses, what was his what was his you know, biggest desire in life? It was to enter the promised land, right? But what happened, you know? Jesus showed him the promised land, and then he gave him something even better, right? You know, that empty feeling that he had in his heart, he showed him, he showed Moses something that could completely fill it up, and it was himself. And I want to go back to the story of Peter when he was in the... Uh, in the seaside where he knows that Jesus has resurrected, right? But he's so ashamed that he can't go back to him. And yeah, so, you know, let's read on to see, find out what happens next. And it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you, caught, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples swallowed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there with fish on it and some bread. So, you know, Peter, he's abandoned Jesus and he's denied him three times. He's so ashamed because he feels like a failure. He feels that he has failed as a prophet. But what is waiting for him? It's Jesus, right? And what does Jesus have? He has bread and some fish, right? And we already talked about how much food can go in showing how much someone loves us. And even after Peter denies Jesus. After all those times, Jesus shows that he loves him, right? He shows that Jesus, he shows that Peter is forgiven and that he is redeemed. And this gives him a new purpose in Peter's life. Because, you know, um, it says in the story, when they had finished eating, like, there's a story where uh, it continues and says, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. And then, you know, you guys know how that goes, right? You know, he says, yeah, I do. And Jesus keeps asking, and Peter gets hurt. 
And then at the end, um, the verse 18. Mm -hmm. And it says, and then after all that, Jesus says something kind of strange. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And you know, verse 19 talks about Peter's death, right? Um, so what I've been taught is that Peter, according to like the Christian tradition, um, he was crucified to death, but he was crucified upside down, right? Because he felt so unworthy that dying the same way, the same way that his Lord Jesus died, you know, he's not worthy of that honor. And this is coming from the guy who denied Jesus three times and, you know, broke all his oaths and, you know, threw out his loyalty for Jesus. But in the end, you know, he died for Jesus, right? For his sake. And, you know, you'd have to wonder, you know, what happened that caused him to change. And I think that when we truly give our hearts to God and become converted, I think one of the things that happens to us is that we start to see things differently. So, you know, Peter, like Jesus, he also came to a point in his life when he knew that he was going to die. You know, people were coming to get him, and people wanted to arrest him and crucify him. And I'm sure, you know, he was feeling depressed, he was feeling sad that he was going to have to die soon, but I'm sure that he remembered the time when Jesus was standing on the mountain with Moses and Elijah and remembered how significant that moment was for everyone on that mountain. And, you know, he writes about it in his own book, Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And Peter's writing this towards the end of his life, and he knows he's going to die soon, but the thing that's still stuck in his mind is that day, right, when he's on the mountain with Jesus, and at the time, he had no idea what's going on. You know, he was so scared and confused. But now that he has given his heart completely over to Jesus, Jesus has given him a completely different new lens to see through. And when he saw what happened on that mountain through the lens of the gospel message, I'm sure he saw how truly that beautiful moment was. And I want to end by saying that, you know, the meaning that we are all searching for in our lives, it's not our careers, it's not, you know, success or family or, you know, it's not like a philosophical concept or anything, but that real meaning of our lives is a person. And that deep sense of emptiness that we feel in this world is a God-shaped hole in each of our hearts. And I believe that our purpose as Christians is to be like Christ. And when we become Christians, we are giving, not only is Jesus giving us new eyes to see with, but we're giving him a new set of eyes to see with, a mouth to speak through, and hands and feet to do his will. And when we give our hearts to God, I'm sure that we'll be able to look at the world through the lens of the gospel message 
and we can be a witness like Peter and tell people about all the wonderful things that he has done in, done in our lives. And lastly, the last verse is uh, Psalms 37, chapter, chapter 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So my challenge for you is, you know, what is the desires of your heart? And, you know, taking delight in the Lord, you know, what does that look like in your own life? That's the challenge that I would like to leave you guys with.